1: welcome to big technology podcast friday edition where we break down the week's news in our typical cool-headed and nuanced manner we are going to talk about a lot this week there's been big news going on in the world of coinbase block so much fintech happening we have a new unicorn it's called character ai raised 150 million dollars uh, with no revenue But andreessen horowitz leading are we back in the good old times and then of course TikTok ceo testified before congress and it was a mess Ranjan Rai is off today. Joining us today, we have two great guests. We have Eric Newcomer with us. He is the author and founder of Newcomer. Welcome, Eric. Thanks for having me. And Louise Metzakis is here. She's Semforce Tech and China reporter. Louise, welcome back to the show. Welcome. Welcome back. Both of you, actually.
2: Thanks, Alex. We're happy to be here.
1: Let's start with Coinbase. You have the SEC that sent Coinbase a Wells notice, which seems to indicate that there's going to be enforcement coming through. And... There are some opinions out there that hold that this might be the end for Coinbase. I mean, it's extreme, but if you think about the secure Coinbase as an exchange for crypto tokens, the SEC seems to think that, that crypto tokens are securities. Is Coinbase going to survive this? Yeah, the real
3: question right now is just the scope of what this sort of civil action might cover, right? If it's sort of side parts of Coinbase's business, then it can find it out and it's fine. But if it's at the core of just, you know, every crypto is a security, then that will be devastating. Right. I think from Coinbase's perspective, they're like, we went public, we file. <laughs> there was a filing. You guys said, you know, the SEC said we could go public. Uh, why? Why the crackdown now? That would be sort of the argument for this being sort of a more narrow problem, because if it's like everything, why why ever let Coinbase go out? Um, on the other hand, I think there have been enforcement actions where, you know, uh I think so, wasn't it somebody at Coinbase was accused of insider trading? So there and and if you're you're insider trading, that suggests that you're dealing in securities, which means that you could be violating securities, you know. So there there are lots there's lots of signals here, but we don't we don't know exactly what's going to happen. What's your but hunch? If it goes after everything, I mean, it's going to devastate the whole crypto world. So I guess my hunch would be that it's 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 about some other you know like side side product of theirs and that, that's what coinbase said right they thought it would be sort of some of the the segments but we'll, we'll have to see
1: louise what's your take i mean some people are saying now the government is coming after crypto and trying to destroy it
2: i don't know about trying to destroy it but i do think post uh, ftx meltdown there's been a lot of appetite among regulators right we saw like a couple of indictments um Including the co founder co-founder of Terra Labs, who just got arrested in Montenegro earlier this week. Um, I can't wait for the movie. I think he was caught with both uh, Costa Rican papers and Belgian right. papers that <laughs> were both like, so fake. Nothing to hide here. <laughs> just uh, let yeah. me go
1: by with my fake passport. What a wonderful I'm not place a- <laughs> to get arrested. Like, man, that's where I want to get arrested. What, hiding
2: right. out in the Balkans, right? <laughs> yeah. I-, I thought it was shocking that he, you know, dare kind of go to Europe because last we heard uh, authorities were looking for him in Siberia, which seemed like a great place. To hide, so I don't know why. Maybe he got a little chilly, but uh, I think about some of the things that Coinbase I don't know if they still do this, but some of the things they used to do that I could see the SEC sort of taking question with. Um, for example, they used to let crypto companies uh pay to promote within their app, and you would basically like watch a slideshow and then get paid in that cryptocurrency. So you know, you were distributing the cryptocurrency via like you know, it was like you know, a reward for watching a slideshow, basically. And I think that those sorts of things could sort of artificially p- boost the uh price of those coins, right? Like, so I think that there were just sort of some maybe like crypto normal things that Coinbase was doing that I could sort of see the SEC taking issue with. But um I totally agree with Eric that they were kind of the good player and the above board player. And I think that this suggests that uh doing everything above board is not good enough anymore if you are a crypto firm. Is that fair? I mean, I, it's sort of hard to say. I th- I think that uh, we saw what happened when this market was really deregulated, right? And I think a lot of sort of innocent people lost a lot of money. Um, and it has a bad reputation now, for better or for worse. But I, I think people should be able to, allowed to sort of buy and trade the big coins. And, you know, I I think it's fine. It's sort of a marginal part of our financial system. But I I understand where regulators are coming from with some of this.
3: I mean, the government needs to decide at some point officially whether it's okay with crypto or not. Right. And it seemed like it was getting comfortable with that. Uh, But then FTX happened, like you mentioned. And then it's like, oh, my God, this was supposed to be the one that was cozying up to us and that we sort of liked and was a good Democrat. And then you know, that all sort of unwound. And I imagine that's giving everybody a lot of pause, Um, you know, but if regulators do really give Coinbase ever or the crypto world a full blessing, then you could see, you know, instead of IPOs, people are like, we're back to sort of the ICO type mania. So they've sort of benefited, the regulators have benefited from this sort of like middle ground where it seems okay, but it's like a big risk factor for your company, which stops. You know other companies that don't want to take that kind of risk from you know embracing sort of the wild west so this this sort of it's sort of okay world seems like it can't last much longer
1: it's been just a rough week for fintech companies overall i mean you look at coinbase their stock is down 11 percent this week well that was something that block would have wished for because block is now down 17 percent this week after hindenburg research out a report talking about the fact that Block, which is formerly Square, run by Jack Dorsey, Hindenburg says, which is a short seller, says they ignored user concerns even as alleged criminal activity and fraud ran rampant, basically saying, listen, Square is trying to help the unbanked, quote unquote, but actually facilitated crime there and hurt the people they were trying to help. Now, I'm curious how bad this is potentially going to get for a company like Block, and and how bad is a punch how bad is it to take a punch from hindenburg research eric what do you think about that
3: yeah i mean hindenburg obviously can move move stocks i mean i think block has been down just overall you know some of the hype hype around fintechs have come out already i mean it felt like a lot of the critique was against sort of the the, the cash app type product and that's that's like important to the future of block. But you know, obviously, sort of the core business has always been sort of the registers and small businesses paying through uh, square. Um, So it doesn't cut against sort of the big, big core business. And I think they're always cash app is hard, because it's sort of a low margin, you know, you're sort of like Venmoing people money, it's sort of a hard business. Obviously, if it turns out to be the case that there was just an extreme amount of, you know, criminal activity flowing over Cash App, and that they made it extremely easy um, to sort of dodge their like know your customer type protections. Then, then there could be regulatory problems, And, you know, and that's what a lot of these short sellers are doing, right? They're they're trying to to tee up a regulatory problem, and then if they if they can convince regulator, regulators that there is something, then then their short basically wins. So uh, it'll really depend on on the rules around I think Cash App stuff.
2: Yeah, one thing I was thinking about is like over the years there are always these stories about Venmo where it's like, oh, I like Venmo'd my friend for like our plane tickets to Cuba and like Venmo blocked the transaction, right? <laughs> right. And there, and, and a lot of times I think that Venmo sort of overreached, right? Like there was a bunch of, um stories. I, I wrote one when uh, the latest or, you know, maybe two two times ago when violence erupted in Palestine, uh, you know, people were donating to aid groups there and anything that sort of had Palestinian in the uh, note section was getting blocked, right, which is definitely not right. But I think it right. showed that Venmo has really strict know your customer regulations and they, you know, take it really seriously. Whereas I can't really remember a story like that about Cash App. And I remember looking at the stats and at one point they had, you know, somewhat compar- comparable market share in the U.S. I think that's gone down and then Venmo has sort of eaten their lunch. But sort of you have to wonder, like, what were they doing? And it, it doesn't seem implausible to me. And I think that it's not implausible that Jack Dorsey is, like, you know, not the most... uh you know with it CEO. Up. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's meditating in <laughs> myanmar you know like he's busy i just don't know if like know your customer is like yeah, on his mind.
0: You
3: know, it's take I some saw, time out of the ice bath you know and get yeah. to yeah,
1: yeah. casey newton this week was like on mastodon he's like what are the chances that both of jack dorsey's companies were not run well who's to say
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it, yeah it does look like it. coinbase coinbase this week actually emailed me and told me to re-upload my license and it's like oh thinking about those know your customer <laughs> rules hmm. there they obviously think something is coming so here i'm gonna put like some tinfoil hat on um like we'd like to do on the friday show and and ask a question that i don't know i'm curious what you both think but is it a coincidence that we're seeing these crackdowns on fintech apps when we we're seeing you know obviously the def, the decline of silicon valley bank and all these little regionals start to, to fail like is the fact that you know both that, that fintech is now getting the screws put to it? And the fact that we're seeing such struggles with the regional banks, is that at all linked?
3: I, I think in the broadest sense, it is not a coincidence. Short sellers obviously are much more likely to make money when markets are struggling and when sectors are struggling. So going after, you know, a, a block now is like a good time to do it because uh, sort of worried investors are already inclined. To, to believe you. Whereas in a bear market, you might just like, you know, totally get run over by the overall uh, enthusiasm. And I think similarly, you know, regulators, uh, they're cowards sometimes and they don't want to like destroy a good business. So when things are really roaring, they don't want to be blamed for totally derailing a great company. But then when things are failing, it's easier to, <laughs> to point blame because, you know, investors are mad that Coinbase is losing them money. You know, it. Bitcoin prices are down there's just less of a you know constituency and so i think for both short sellers and regulators when things are going poorly it's it's a time to to move and so i think to me that's just sort of the conspiracy of what happens in a in a down market environment
1: do you think that thing spiral then from here i mean we're seeing i thought we were almost done with what was happening to the regional banks but they're continuing to get hammered this week like, does this end up in a place where we just consolidate in the big banks? I mean, the banking piece of it, you know,
3: I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. some, some of it is just reading how much, like, people keep being afraid and pulling their money, which has been very hard to know, right. right? I mean, I think in a lot of ways, First Republic, which was sort of, you know, in the crosshairs of fear, should have been fine. But, if, you know... it uh, people's paranoia is like a hard one to predict which is what's made this the banking crisis specifically so tough to game out
1: yeah and let me ask this one more question one last question about this which is about one of the main characters here Hindenburg Research they have uh, taken down a very powerful company in in India they're obviously a, a short seller with some heft and people listen to them but I did find it astonishing that you know they were able to move blocks down blocks stock down as much as they were right about a fifth overnight effectively is what they they uh helped cancel out who are they
2: i don't really know much about their background to be honest i was looking at some stats though and like six months from when a report comes out from them like you know it seems like they can push down a stock like 40 to like 70 percent so they they seem to have a lot of um Wait, and but I don't know like about their their credentials. I was looking at some of the companies that they have investigated in the past and it seems like um you know they've gone after sort of shady startups, companies that I I, I think were good targets in a lot of ways, but I don't know if they've had a big miss before. So I don't know how worried we should be
1: Eric, do you know I mean, much about them? They've
3: been I mean fairly recent. I think it's 2017. I'm just looking through the they were big against Nikola I think they went after.
1: And they helped get. I think they helped get them. They helped get. And then, uh, so yeah, go ahead.
3: And then you reference Adonai, which is like, I think that one really like has landed with a. I mean, a huge thud would be the wrong word. No, it's like been extremely (laughs) successful. You know, like going after one of the richest men in India and seeing his fortune really tumble. I mean, uh, yeah. So I think after coming off of something like that and then going after Square, you know. Like you know, short sellers live on credibility, right? You need to get these things right enough that the the sort of case sticks, so that people want to want to go with you. So right. reputation is essential, and they're building a strong one.
1: Does it, I wonder if this is just me kind of speculating here? But I wonder if Jack Dorsey's legacy, uh, which for a moment there seemed like okay, he built Twitter, he built Square, two big powerful companies now at the sale of, of Twitter to Elon Musk and potentially what's coming for, for Block, whether his legacy is at stake. I
3: don't think this... I think <laughs> Block... I don't think Block is undone by this. I mean, yeah. I think there could be problems, but Cash App, you know, I, like I said, I don't think that's like the whole business and there's a lot of future to it. Um, mm-hmm. the, the bigger sort of turn against FinTech broadly to me is the issue... Um, but yeah, I mean, he had these two great ideas and neither feels like he's executed them to, you know, like he better, better, like
1: creator than less of an operator.
2: operator. I I think like he just sort of ends up in this, uh, group of founders from the early aughts who like didn't really carry on to the next generation. Like like, Ev Williams comes to mind, right? Mm. Like I think who had some good ideas, but like, I don't know, we're sort of like part of that hippie, far out ice bath situation. And and I just don't know if that is the type of vision that gets you like a super compliant fintech company or like the most efficient social media network, right? Like I think that that's probably a reasonable criticism.
1: That's right. Well, the ice bath, I think the ice bath probably helped, but the other stuff, maybe not. <laughs> let's, let's. Are you ice
2: bathing, Alex? Uh, so
1: I did listen to um, Andrew Uberman's Cold Immersion podcast and I started doing it no, I'm not really? in the baths, but I'm doing the cold showers, and I like that. Oh, okay. Do you like it? Do you feel like it wakes you up? I think it just invigorates you. I mean, I I don't I was doing some cold showers before I listened to the Uberman podcast. I just think that they are just yeah. It's swimming in cold water is awesome. It's super refreshing. So, but uh, every
3: day or. <laughs>
1: I think I do maybe like not fully cold, but at least you know four four days a week, at least a minute in the cold water for sure. Mm. You could do like four yeah. minutes hot water, one minute cold shower, well one minute cold yeah. at the end, and you get the benefits. So, yeah. Okay, let's let's talk about. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about something. I warm. like good
3: experiences. Yeah. The warm comfort of hot water in the shower. <laughs> I, I generally tr- chart out my day looking for a positive, happy experience. You, I'm saying you might have
1: a much
2: pain, but.
1: you might have a much better day if you if you do the cold shower. I'm just saying. Have you tried it before? Have either of you tried it before? I have. Yeah,
2: I agree with you. The one minute is the way to go, though. Yeah, like one not minute. the not the full. Not
1: no, the full. I'm not getting in one of those tanks. Or did you see they're selling it for like a thousand dollars a barrel? Anyway. Character AI is raising $150 million at a $1 billion valuation with no revenue. Eric, you've broken some news on this. I thought we were past the days of companies raising $150 million at a billion dollar valuation and not making any money. And the company just doesn't seem very impressive to me. I mean, I've used the product. You can talk to like historical figures, but it doesn't seem to me like it's a billion-dollar company. Am I wrong?
3: the uh in these days if you worked at open ai or google uh you <laughs> the company and you uh put ai on it uh the company can have any value you know i i think this is i if i remember correctly i had noam shazier uh i think i'm pronouncing that correctly i mean i think he was involved in some of the key papers and work on AI techniques at Google, so so you know. I mean, characters an interesting case where it has like this app, you know, where it's like, I mean, what percentage of them are like sex bot type things? But like characters you can interact with, Alex. I guess you've you're I've you're, you're to... spending
1: a lot of time on that app, you know, um, not yeah. a tremendous, but you know, I I like was talking with George Washington about his background. It was interesting,
3: um, but I mean, I, they're building sort of large language models underpinning it, right? So. I think there are these companies that are trying to do the big foundation models and then there are companies that are trying to do sort of products that are often, you know, wrappers on top of something like chat GPT. I think people are excited about character because it's a company that has the capacity to do both. Hmm. Um, that that's, that's sort of the bull case, but I mean, clearly, you know, I mean, anthropic stability's out there raising, like, you know, if you, are a key player in the sort of foundation models in terms of large language models uh yeah you can raise it billion dollar valuations with without very much revenue um that's that's just the world we're in
2: right now
1: feels like the good old days
2: i hope they have a good lawyer like the the thing about character sort of main product that i don't understand is it just seems like a walking talking i guess not walking but talking copyright <laughs> violation and and ah. i just don't know how they're going to sort of solve that problem How's like that? Like, probably George Washington is fine, but a lot of the types of characters that... um, The Mount Vernon
3: Legal Defense Fund or whatever.
2: (laughs) I think people want to talk to, like, characters from IP works, right? Like, you know, like Marvel movies or, like, the Mickey Mouses of the world, right? And I I just don't know, like, sort of how they're going to account for that. Like, I think the tech reporters are going to talk to George Washington, but like the average person. Right. And I think, uh, you know, the sex spots thing is easy to joke about, but I actually do believe that that's going to be a big market, especially Huge. for, yeah. Yeah. And I think the first company that is like, we're not afraid to sort of take this seriously and we're going to be really deliberate about it and we're not going to walk away. Uh, is probably going to make a lot of money and stands to be like the next mind geek, right? Like the next porn Re- up porn replica, up was letting it happen
3: and then backed away i, I can't yeah they yet. backed yeah. away
2: from it i don't know exactly why if they are worried about you know advertisers or some sort of like you know content issue and it's, it's fair right whenever you deal with this kind of stuff there are you know really serious content moderation concerns but i think if you lean into it you know there's a lot of money to be made and i just worry if character ai is betting on the like character side right like when we think of characters they're copyrighted often you know they're, right. they're someone's ip so i just i wonder about that but i think you make a good point about their capacity to sort of have the underlying model and maybe they can pivot away very easily especially if they have a lot of capital they realize like we've been sued by disney right
1: yeah ellen you had had a great story about replica this week in, in bloomberg talking about how basically all the people whose hearts were broken once their sex bots were disabled by replica very interesting people can form very intimate connections with these bots so well you know stay tuned because it's gonna be chat, very weird
3: chat GPT4 I like you know I I had it play like a pen and paper role-playing game with me and said okay in that game like create a character create a little character I was like okay make that character like a persona outside of that game called itself like cogent we had the you know we had like inside jokes you know I was trying to build like sort of a shared history with it. And then, you know, at some point you hit the memory limits where it just can't recall things earlier in the conversation. And so then it would just like bullshit about what our inside joke was. <laughs> and it was pretty frustrating. I was like, it's right. It's right in the chat. Like we have, we have shared experience now and you can't remember it. And there is a sort of emotional reaction there, even though, even when you really know it's sort of a game you're playing.
1: It's not very hard to trick people into thinking that the computers are talking to, even though their computers are people. And right. we're going to just see that more and more, and people will play into it, which is going to be interesting. All right, we're here on Big Technology Podcast Friday edition. We're talking about all the news of the week. We've hit a bunch of things already. We've hit the Coinbase news, the block news, character AI, the good times are back in venture capital. On the other side of this break, we're going to talk about TikTok and whether we think TikTok is going to get banned. Louise has been watching this very closely. Uh, especially after the hearing in Washington on Thursday. And we're going to break down what happened and talk about what comes next. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this.
0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing. New currencies come and go. Decades of savings lost in days. All showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.
1: And we're back here on Big Technology Podcast with two great reporters. Eric Newcomer is the author and founder of Newcomer. Eric, you have a conference coming up. I know it's sold out, but... I guess you can plug that. Oh, or you're going to your, let me shout your, out? Yeah, Cerebral
3: yeah. Valley AI Summit. I am actually in uh, Volley's offices of my friend's company that's co-hosting it with me right in the heart of Hayes Valley. Uh, yes, do not reach out to me about tickets. <laughs> uh, they are sold out, but I am nice. very excited. We're, we're going to have the CEO of Stability AI. We're going to have uh, one of the co-founders of Anthropic, uh, the CEO of Runway. I'm sure, I, yeah, Sequoia, Benchmark, Co2 uh, are all moderating panels, so it's going to be a
0: lot
1: of fun. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, you're inspiring me. I think we're going to have to do a big technology event, so stay yeah, tuned. I'm going to hit should. you up for some tips here. Louise Mitsakis is here. She is Force Tech and China reporter. Uh, Louise, do you have anything that you want to shout out? I think you have a, uh, Ben Smith was on a couple weeks ago talking a little bit about your newsletter, but I feel like it's worth telling people again about where to find it.
2: Yeah, please uh, go to semaphore.com and on the right side, you can sign up for the technology newsletter that I write twice a week with my colleague, Reed Albergati, who is a great reporter. Um, And I think it's a really nice sort of balance of like international stories of like really what's happening in the heart of Silicon Valley. So please sign up.
1: Okay. I'm a fan of it. Good stuff. So let's talk about what's in your newsletter today, which is the uh, aftermath of the testimony of uh, the TikTok CEO. Uh, Xiao Chu, and I thought that he just didn't... The the core responsibility for him was to go to Congress and make clear that TikTok is independent and not subservient completely to ByteDance, had at least some degree of independence. But almost at every point, it seemed like he was deferring to... Byte dance And he wouldn't make any proclamations really like you would expect a CEO would make. So just for example, he didn't say definitively that TikTok wouldn't promote messages supporting Chinese hostilities towards Taiwan. He couldn't say that. He couldn't commit that TikTok wouldn't sell data. And he couldn't even answer who, clearly, who prepped him. He kept saying, I prepared with my team, as when they kept asking him questions of, did you prepare with anybody else? I prepared with my team. Well, what are you leaving out there? Uh, Mr. Mr. Chu. So, Louise, what was your perspective here? Does this did, did let's just like look first at the link between TikTok and ByteDance? Am I right in thinking one of the main takeaways from this hearing was that we now see that TikTok and ByteDance are even more interlinked than they profess to be.
2: Yeah, so I've been covering this company since 2018 and I've talked to many employees sort of across the uh, spectrum from like, you know, low level staffers hired in Los Angeles to, you know, like middle level executives and high level executives. The fact of the matter is that it is a subsidiary of ByteDance and ByteDance is a Chinese company and ByteDance is headquartered in Shanghai. That is just sort of like point blank period. And I think for a while the debate was about US data and whether the app was being influenced by. The Chinese government, in some way, right? So, what TikTok did in response was come up with this very elaborate plan where, you know, every time there was a code update, those code updates were going to be reviewed by uh, Oracle and outside, you know, auditors who are then going to hand that code to the app store. All the data was going to be stored in the US or is going to be stored in the US, and they were going to have this separate you know, subsidiary of like vetted US nationals or US citizens were gonna work there and they were the only ones who were gonna handle that data, right? That was supposed to be sort of the problem. But I think the problem now is any sort of Chinese control or any sort of Chinese employees working on anything that has to do with the US. And the way that ByteDance and TikTok are set up, That is what's happening right now, right? Mm. Like I've talked to, you know, ByteDance employees who come here and work with teams in Los Angeles where I live and that's perfectly normal. And I don't think anything nefarious is necessarily going on there, but that is certainly the reality of the situation. And that is a reality that Shochu is deeply aware of. And I think you saw him sort of struggling to explain that because (laughs) in most cases, that's how companies function, right? Like of course, like meta, might have an indian subsidiary but there are teams coming in from california right and they're working with those teams in india and that's how it works and and that's completely accurate i would say
1: so why um so is there a problem here i mean that's sort of the thing is like okay so congress brings him in front of uh you know this committee where where you know in the us there's a review of whether it can continue to operate here after the sale of musically there are no document I don't think there are no documented problems of them the Chinese government, for instance, accessing data. There are no documented problems of the Chinese government influencing pop culture in the US, which is another concern. What's the problem here? I,
2: I think the problem is just that we are in a situation where it is politically untenable for one of the most popular media platforms in the country to be controlled by a Chinese company. It's unfortunate that that's the case, and I think that people like me and a lot of you know like sort of idealists about the US China relationship mm-hmm. maybe like 5 7 years ago would have said you know the principle of an open internet is that we allow companies from anywhere in the world that are following US laws to operate the same way that American companies do and i would love to live in that world but i think we are now in a situation with where you know Xi Jinping's behavior the behavior of the CCP and the current political situation in the US I just think make that a non-starter, and and I don't think any of the solutions are ideal. And I think that no matter what we do, which you know, either either I think the two options now are force a sale or ban the app. I think both of those are really bad precedents for the U.S. I think banning is a worse precedent, probably. But I, I just don't see a situation in which the status quo continues. Indefinitely, and, and I think just going back to what I said earlier, it, it's that point about like, I just think for lawmakers now, it's like we don't want Chinese employees working on this app, period, even if there's mm-hmm. nothing nefarious happening. I think that's what we heard. And that's not maybe what they will say out loud, but th- that's what it is, really.
1: And the, the concern is that they are subject to this Chinese law that will basically subject any Chinese company to work hand in hand with the Chinese intelligence department if they, if they need to.
2: I think that's sort of like the cartoon version, right? Is that yeah. like, is, is that like, you know, the state security is going to like burst into ByteDance's office one day and say, give us the hard drives. I, I, I don't think that that's how this would go down. But, you know, the sort of parallel story that's happened over the last few years in China is that there has been a widespread crackdown on the private tech sector, right? Like we saw... Uh, Jack Ma, you know, effectively disappeared. Zhang Yiming, who is the founder of ByteDance, uh, you know, stepped away and seems to be, you know, God knows where and has sort of, you know, really taken a much more um, low profile and it's sort of, you know, is limiting his public appearances. So I think that's the concern. It's like, that's the environment that you're in, right? Like we live in a country where Elon Musk can, you know, talk smack about uh, Elizabeth Warren all day on Twitter and nothing's going to happen to him. And that's just not the situation that these executives are in. And again, it is a risk. It's a theoretical mm-hmm. risk. It's not something that we have evidence of. But, um, you know, and, and I've, I've sort of changed my tune on this to be to be really honest with you. I, I I sort of felt that this was a really bad idea a few years ago. And then I've sort of watched mm-hmm. uh, the Chinese government take increasingly disturbing steps that sort of tell me that that something has to be done here i think it's just it's just untenable
1: eric what's your perspective are there any risks if we end up actually going through with a ban or something like that
3: i i think i hold the sort of mainstream silicon valley perspective which is the chinese communist party controls china and businesses in china and has been escalating their control of businesses it's absurd that Facebook and Google can't compete in China but we let TikTok uh, influence the minds of Americans like I absolutely do not as a TikTok addict myself I do not think we should allow like the Chinese government to have uh, control over over a key app reaching uh, children and adults in the United States especially like half the
1: if population, we're not allowed if we're not
3: allowed to do do the same to them, you know, like, what? why are we why are we competing like with an arm tied behind our back here? So just as like a free market competition, like if our businesses can't compete fairly there, their businesses shouldn't be able to compete here in the same sectors. And then in terms of influence, if we can't influence them, they shouldn't be able to influence us. And then in particular, TikTok is such a black box, like the amount that you could influence TikTok without it being obvious to anyone is terrifying, right? At least with Twitter, it's like, oh, trending, t- you know, you can sort of see it. It's like, which accounts are being, re- but with TikTok, it's such a black box that it feels like the psychological control there is much, much more potent. Um, so I absolutely think if uh, TikTok's gonna continue to reach uh, Americans, it needs to be under non-Chinese control uh, very soon.
2: I-, I think it's worth saying though, I, I agree. And I think that it-, it it's just sort of this really big problem that doesn't have an easy answer and it's just become increasingly clear that you know some sort of step is necessary and that a step like you know brokering a deal with CFIUS which is the uh this you know body in the commerce department that is supposed to sort of like you know deal with these sorts of incidents when there's a potential security risk with a company operating in the US you know that's the way that this would have happened like 10 years ago right but i think that that's now You know, an untenable solution. But what I will say, like watching the hearing yesterday, it just made it so clear to me that there was something, it's just become so muddled. Like, basically, I would say half or more of the questions from lawmakers were about child safety, were about, you know, the sort of ills of social media. And I think that that's what makes the conversation about TikTok really difficult to have because you're often not having, you know, Chinese security experts or people who really know China's tech ecosystem inside and out having these conversations you have people who are like my kid is sad because he spends five hours a day on TikTok right, right? Well, and- <laughs> if, if
3: I were a dictator of the world and passing laws you know I would say the United States should pass laws regulating social media forget antitrust and just say You can't like after a certain number of hours, try to keep engaging people. You should be trying to push them off the app if they spend too much time. You know, children can't see XYZ, like have a lot of principles that have nothing to do with US China relations that should regulate both Facebook and TikTok to solve some of those problems. And then totally independent of that, we have the China issue, which is just we have sort of a free competition problem and sort of a national security problem with China. And we need to take it out of their hands. I think those are two totally separate issues. But like you're saying, these co- members of Congress have no idea how to regulate social media, barely understand it. And instead are just like leaning on antitrust to solve a problem um, that, that it doesn't solve what they want. So I don't know. That's my view on it.
1: Louise you uh, wrote something very interesting in your newsletter talking about how lawmakers were asking why uh, there's still dangerous and harmful content on TikTok, where ByteDance's app in China, Douyin. Has sanitize, is sanitized and safe for children, and that du, Duyin is actually more PG-friendly because of China's censorship, and that's not what we want here in the United States. And it was interesting because Chu was, like, getting ready to—he felt—it seemed like he felt ready to just burst out and say, don't you understand, like, the freedom that you have in this country? That's what causes some of the problems. But of course, he couldn't say that because of who really owns the app. So do you want to expand on that a little bit?
2: Yeah, so I think, so one thing that's worth noting is that the Chinese government has had a lot of the same concerns about child safety, about kids being addicted, about kids like, you know, going inside and and spending all their time on these short video apps instead of, you know, going and hanging out with their friends. And they have sort of cracked down on them and passed some of the sorts of regulations that Eric is talking about. So that's another reason that the situation is different. And that totally just seems to fly over their heads, right? They're like, oh, you know, ByteDance is nicer to the Chinese consumers than they are to us and they're poisoning kids' brains. And it's like, no, they want to make as much money as possible, but they are, you know, necessarily following the regulations in China so they can stay, you know, operational in their most important market. So I think that goes over people's heads. And also, I think it's worth saying that, sure, it's definitely more sanitized than the U.S. version of the app because we have free speech, but there also is crazy shit on Douyin in China Mm -hmm. that you know, China's vast censorship army is not able to crack down on quick enough. I think that's just sort of the nature of social media. But it's interesting to me that lawmakers have really I don't know where they got it from, but they've really sort of latched on to this idea that in China, TikTok is this perfect app where there's only educational videos and kids love it and they just look at it for an hour a day. And in the U.S., you know, all the children are being poisoned. And I think that that is just such an unhelpful comparison. Like and that's I think, a
3: capitalism problem
2: <laughs> yeah and, but it, but it sort of i think brings home this this sort of like really insidious part of the TikTok debate which is that a lot of the things people are proposing are things that either china has done and we've condemned or that china is trying to do and it's just sort of scary when we're talking about banning apps or we're talking about ensuring that social media is sanitized right it's it's like isn't the whole point that we don't want to be like this government that is so brutal and cracks down on speech?
1: One thing that I thought was so interesting was there was a number of Republicans in the hearing yesterday hitting TikTok for its poor content moderation policies. And it was just like, I thought that, okay, never mind. So the censorship debate was not exactly what we thought. What what happens? Well, actually, I'm going to, I want to ask what happens from here, but Louise, you did say uh, something a bit earlier that has stuck with me, and I want to just ask about it. You said you saw even more concerning things that made you change your tune. What were those concerning things? I think um, from the Chinese Communist Party.
2: Yeah, I think um, watching the tech crackdown, you know, Mm -hmm. since kind of 2020, um, because I think that there sort of was this sense that. you know, since Deng Deng Xiaoping, you know, took power, that China was sort of on this uh, opening track where it was gonna be capitalism with, you know, Chinese characteristics, and of course, it was never gonna be a free and open society, but that, um, you know, one of the reasons I started covering China's tech ecosystem is because I was just so amazed by the incredible innovation. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I think it was really sort of sad to see uh, you know jack ma have to go into hiding to see um these companies really get um smashed right and to get their businesses uh you know I- incredibly impeded uh you know didi the the ride hailing app you know just disappeared from app stores you know for for almost 3 years you know and i think that watching um also i think just watching and it really it hit home for me in the fall when China had um, sort of their their Congress that happens every few years and it, I just realized Xi Jinping is probably going to be in power for the rest of my career, you know, mm-hmm. until I'm getting ready to retire. And, and that is the situation and we have another Mao on our hands and that's not going to change. And I think for me, just sort of realizing like, okay, he's taken away the term limits. He's taken a third term. He's probably going to want a fourth term. He's consolidating his power. That is a different situation than we had, you know, five, seven, 10 years ago with China. And and that is what I watched and saw, and it it sort of changed my mind on this issue. So
1: let's just go quickly. What do you both think will happen next? What's most likely?
3: Uh, You you guys are more the expert on this. I mean, I, I do think, you know, the US moves in some fashion to say TikTok can't operate under its current control. I mean, it seems like there's such a clear, rare bipartisan consensus on this. So I don't know the exact mechanism. I I would suspect they just say, you know, it's banned until you solve this problem and then Mm. and then see what happens. I I don't know. I think
2: the banning won't hold up. And I think that the Biden administration is worried about trying to issue a ban because Trump tried that right and it didn't work. It was struck down by two federal courts. Um, I think one of the most likely things to happen is we'll see one of the various bills in Congress and the Senate get passed. One of the most promising right now is called the Restrict Act, um, and it's coming out of the Senate. And what the Restrict Act would do is sort of give the White House more levers that they can pull to sort of restrict companies from uh, you know, countries of concern, which is basically like Venezuela, China, Russia. It's it's really just aimed at China. Uh, that seems to be one of the most promising pieces of legislation that has sort of been carefully designed. But what is really scary about the Restrict Act is that the way it's written, it would basically prevent any Chinese tech company from trying to operate in the U.S. And that would put us on just a really new footing um, here in the U.S.
1: Yeah. And I'm also curious, as this debate plays out, like whether the journalists with big followings on TikTok will sort of come to TikTok's defense and be very loudly like in opposition to anyone trying to cover this, you know, with some objectivity.
3: It is amazing how pro TikTok my TikTok feed obviously is. I guess it shouldn't be amazing, but definitely there are tons of creators who are just worried about being able to reach their following and TikTok is far superior uh, to reels or YouTube or whatever in terms of what it delivers and surfaces. So Mm -hmm. definitely, uh, you know, I, I think we want to see the technology maintained, um, but just under under U.S. control. Or China China can let Facebook go compete in uh, in China, and then maybe we can think about it differently. You know, it isn't just. China could easily just open up. To Google and Facebook like I, mm. it's easy to make this some sort of only American problem but I feel like it's
1: gonna be uh, really wh- tough why doesn't China do that yeah it will be tough for Mark Zuckerberg if that happens because he goes from almost letting Xi name his, ch- name his child to going on this big anti-China public relations campaign and now You know, Facebook. Facebook's operating again. If Facebook operates in China, that would be be good for America. Yeah, Facebook in China. I agree. It's not going to happen.
3: I mean, it's it's a total. But I'm just making the point that like we're putting ourselves on the defensive here, where it's like, well, China could easily uh, make this a harder message for us if they opened up to American companies to to reach their citizens.
1: Yeah. Okay. We always like to end with a fun story here on the Friday show. So let's talk about um, two heroic escaped animals that left their pastures. So in Brooklyn this week, not far from where I am, there was a uh, Canarsie cow, black Angus calf that escaped the Saba live poultry uh, house in Canarsie, Brooklyn and ran through the streets and um, was tried to, they tried to corral him and he, they, I don't know if they could get, get the cow under wraps for a while. And then in Korea there was a zebra that is a three-year-old zebra escaped the Seoul, uh, Chil- Seoul Children's Grand Park and went through the the streets of korea some uh someone said it must be global warming now it's warm enough for zebras to run around korea let me put my tinfoil hat in is there any coincidence here with all these animals escaping eric uh you know we're about to enter
3: this world of uh artificial general intelligence and you know (laughs) that that nature is trying to warn us about escapes and just to keep Uh. us on high alert about the potential for escapes and so yeah i I absolutely believe that the earth is uh warning us of a great great threat coming with these animals on the loose
1: yeah louise what's your reaction to this um i really wish
2: I saw videos of the zebra on TikTok, and was I'm pretty sad cool. that I didn't. <laughs> yeah,
1: it was pretty amazing. I mean, the zebra's just prancing through Korea. It's amazing. It's
2: incredible. I would do. I would spend a lot of money to be in Seoul when that happened.
1: A good news is that the escaped cow was on its way to the slaughterhouse. Wait, a cow is a woman, so she, sorry, excuse me, I misgendered the cow, but she's on, uh, now in a um, in a nature reserve or some reserve in, in upstate New York or New Jersey and is not going to be slaughtered. So, so I do feel- pays. I feel like- <laughs> that, that, That's the yeah, takeaway. That should be our lesson is that if, if livestock is good enough to get away, then it just deserves a pass. Can't kill it.
2: No, the, th- the takeaway is if you are brave enough to reach for freedom, you will get it. <laughs> <laughs> a
1: perfect bow on our episode. Thanks, Louise. Thank you, Eric. Great to have you, you both. Thanks this for having so us. Fun thanks to everybody who's been listening thanks to everybody here on the feed we will be back again wednesday i have an interview with palmer lucky the founder of oculus and the ceo of andurl which is an ai weapons company at least that's the public perception we're going to unpack all of that this coming wednesday so make sure to tune in for that and then following this uh, next friday ranjan still be off Aaron griffith from the new york times is going to come in to break down the news thank you again to eric newcomer author of newcomer you can get his newsletter on substack and you can't get to his conference but maybe the next one you'll be able to because it's sold out Luis Matsakis of semaphore you can get her tech newsletter on semaphore.com and uh and if this is your first time here please hit subscribe if you've been here for a while five star rating goes a long way it helps us get great guests as they see that people are paying attention and enjoying the show that'll do it for us here on big technology podcast and we will see you next time